Our 10 Worst and Best Experiences of 2019, Helpful Life Hints to Remember for 2020. 2019, it truly has been fun. 2020, we embrace you with open arms with what may or may not come. From getting married and all the things that go with that to traveling abroad and exploring, this year has been full of many new experiences. In general, we both agree that getting married was the highlight of 2019 for us, but we hope you will enjoy these hilarious and amazing stories and learn something from them to take with you into the new year. Each story will be denoted with A, thumbs down, or, thumbs up, depending on the experience. Without further ado and in no particular order, here are 10 of our worst and best experiences of 2019. Thumbs up, private dolphin and whale tour on a luxury sailboat. We found this Airbnb experience, now removed, in Tenerife, Canary Islands to go on a sailboat with six total guests, drink champagne, whale and dolphin watch, snorkel, and get fed lunch all for the approximately $60, person. It seemed too good to be true. It was. We showed up and it was not a sailboat, but a massive catamaran with a capacity of 120 people which is 20 times more people than advertised. After some discussion with the coordinator, she understood why we were not keen about being hoodwinked and she agreed we could come back another day to do the cruise we signed up for. Luckily, we were in Tenerife for a while, so this was not an issue for us. We showed up a few days later to the marina and to our delight, everything came true. The sailboat was impeccably clean, luxurious with three bedrooms and nice bathrooms, and only two other guests. The captain was incredibly amicable and keep pouring us more and more cava, a Spanish wine similar to champagne. The two other guests were from Russia and oddly enough, did not eat or drink any of the provided items, so we effectively doubled our portions of everything on top of the captain opening more bottles for us. The captain would point out dolphins or whales in Spanish, which Martina would translate for our group in English, and then the Russian girl would translate to Russian for her father. It was quite the game of telephone, but worked rather well. We really enjoyed the experience of drinking and eating on the Sun Lounge Bow area of the vessel. After seeing multiple pods, Kirk decided it would be a good idea to pull the drone out and get some footage of the next group of marine animals. Something strange happened on the first attempt of launching the drone. It sort of hopped up and the propellers stopped immediately, before it came landing back down on the sun deck padded area. Hindsight 2020, the yaw of the sailboat against the waves likely was the culprit here. On the second attempt, the drone launched fine and was hovering momentarily until a realization suddenly struck. We were moving and the drone was stationary. The main mast was fast approaching as the wind hurled us forward. Kirk brought his hand from above the drone and pushed it down towards the floor against it trying to propel itself back up. Luckily, he was able to power it off while doing so and the blades only created some small flesh wounds on his fingers which continued to bleed for a while. All in all, the drone could have easily gone overboard or been permanently destroyed by the mast, etc. A few things we learned. 
Be careful of Airbnb experiences and make sure you truly get what you are paying for. Do not launch drones from a moving sailboat, it would have been really tough to land. Launching a drone from any moving object requires a lot more thinking and should probably not be done very often. Thumbs down, lost keys of lost hills and the toilet. This one was a doozy. Martino was in Bakersfield heading to Cambria for the weekend where Kirk was. Along the route, gas and a pee break were required. Luckily, it was at the infamous gas station that was the last place James Dean got gas before he tragically died, seriously. While in the bathroom, a loud clang sounded and another patron in the restroom exclaimed something unintelligible. With that essential stop out of the way, Martino was only 90 minutes from arriving in Cambria. However, when she got to her car, she realized two important things. She had holes in her jacket pockets. The car keys were no longer in her jacket pocket. After a search of the gas station, toilets, and all around the car, she came to the conclusion the keys slipped through the hole in her jacket and fell into the toilet that she promptly flushed upon her exit. A gas station attendant tried to fish them out of the toilets, and by plural we mean she wasn't sure what toilet she used, so he had to try fishing it out of multiple toilets, but unfortunately, was unlucky. Meanwhile in Orange County, Martina's parents are searching for her spare key fob. The solution was for Kirk to pick up Martina, drive to Orange County, drive back to the Lost Hills James Dean gas station and problem solved. After three hours of much deliberation and no keys found anywhere, Kirk drove to Martina where AAA quickly opened the vehicle so she could get her stuff out. The new plan was to now have the car towed back to Bakersfield and we'd have to pay $415 to have a new key created not to mention the closest key nearby that fit her car was in Indianapolis. So needless to say, it was going to take some time. Everything went smoothly from here. Triple A arrived at the Kia dealership and we were able to set an appointment to come and get a new key program for the ludicrous $415 price. Upon arriving back at the house we were staying at in Bakersfield, Martina discovers the spare key in her bag that she packed for the weekend. To reiterate, the spare key was in the car the whole time. The car did not recognize the key was inside it because the battery was dead. A few things we learned. So any pockets that have holes today or buy new clothes. Always know where your spare keys are and make sure you have a duplicate. Make sure they have working batteries in them. You can buy a programmable fob of your car key online for way ye cheaper. Her replacement key fob was $43 on Amazon much better than $415 from the dealership. Thumbs up, storm camel riding in Morocco. We've been in the car driving all day with the goal and plan to arrive somewhere near Mertsuga and go ride a camel in the desert to a Berber traditional camp. Finally, we arrive late in the afternoon at a place full of tourists trying to sit as comfortably and normally as they can on their new camel friend. As we are admiring this, we suddenly are told our suitcases are not going with us and we need to pack a small bag with whatever we need for the next two days. 
After we all hurriedly throw some things into our backpacks, easily 15 minutes later since certain bags had to be unpacked, repacked, we are ready to go. We line up and one by one climb up onto our camels. The guide then tugs on the first camel who erratically stands up, which seems to be the normal way they stand up with a load on them, prompting the rest of the camels to stand up one by one. As we are waving by to our car guides at Hor Said, it dawns upon us that we have no idea how long we will be riding the camels for. No idea where we are going, sleeping. Our guide knows no English, but has a friendly smile. A massive storm is coming behind us blotting out hills and trees we could see a few minutes ago. After about two minutes riding a camel, you likely will concur they are not an ideal mode of transport. Your body does this jerky back and forth movement which makes riding a horse look like an automobile with a premium suspension system. Riding a camel is awkward and difficult to get comfortable. After Kirk comes to the above conclusions about camel riding, he remembers the giant storm he thought he saw and concludes that yes, it is now right behind the group and we can no longer see the short distance behind us we covered. A storm is coming upon us fast. It looked like a giant grey misty wall as far as the eye could see across the horizons and reached to the heavens. The storm enveloped us quickly and we can no longer see the massive Erg Chebyoff in the distance and can only see the nearest sand dunes to us. The sun has been muted and greyness surrounds us, making the orange sand contrast brilliantly. The wind is howling and we are getting properly sand blasted from all angles as we go up and down sand dunes. We have been steadily climbing for some time as the storm seemed to dissipate a little. After about an hour of uncomfortable camel riding, we are wondering how much further we will go. We assumed this was going to be a 30-minute excursion based upon our previous research of most trips. Little did we know, we just made it halfway. We slowly began to descend for about an hour as we began to notice more frequent lightning off in the darkening grey evening skies. Lights off in the distance give us hope and our guide, who has been walking in flimsy flip-flops the entire time, notions that that is where we are headed. As the darkness is engulfing us, rain is starting to fall ever so slowly and the thunder and lightning are getting more prevalent step by step. Suddenly, big raindrops begin to fall as we come to a stop on the outskirt of a large Berber camp made up of many canvas-type tents. We dismount and are shown to each of our tents for the evening by the main camp head who spoke a few words of English. As soon as we close the door to begin settling down, showering, etc. from the two-hour camel ride, an immediate downpour from heaven leaves us awestruck and thankful to God we just made it before the torrential rain. This story will continue in another post about the unique night we had with the Berbers and other guests at the camp. A few things we learned. Riding camels is really quite uncomfortable, and it is hard to find a position to sit in that is satisfactory. Kirk followed a few examples of men we saw riding camels where they had both legs off to one side of the camel which seemed to work nicely for a bit until you get sore and need to switch to the other side. Hold on tight and lean back whenever the camel is standing up or goes to sit down. Having ibuprofen is nice after a camel ride and hydrocortisone, 
for the rubbing you will likely get on your inner thigh region. Thumbs down, how locks, do not, work in Spain. We had a few problem with keys in 2019 and this was the first major one to start them all. Shortly after we said I do, we made our way to the charming coastal town of Coralejo, Fuerteventura to work remotely and kiteboard. We rented this amazing little Airbnb right near the co-working space, Hub Fuerteventura, kitesurfing school, FKS, water sports, and the port where we would take the boat from for open water kite sessions. One day, we were headed to FKS, for a kiteboarding session and as we closed the door, we realized we forgot something inside. No problem, we had the house key in our hand. Except, there was a problem. We had the spare key in the lock. Whenever we were inside, we always kept a key in the lock to easily unlock the door in case of a fire or emergency. The way most locks in Spain, and likely other countries in Europe, work is that both sides of the lock have key slots so you can lock, unlock it from either side of the door. Great, no problem. However, if you have a key in one side in the locked position with the door closed, you cannot use another key to open the door. So even though we had our house key, we could not unlock the door because the spare key was on the inside of the door set in the locked position. Luckily, Kirk has eased inside to locked buildings before via a nicely placed window low enough to get in. After removing the storm shutters, this particular window did not lock, so it slid easily open and Kirk brambled through and unlocked the door. Needless to say, we learned our lesson about Spanish locks and were very careful not to make that same mistake again. A few things we learned. Figure out the locking systems with two people upon arrival, one inside and one outside in Spain, most locks work with the ability to lock, unlock from both sides. Make sure you remove any keys from the lock so you can open the door. Thumbs up, Epic Madeira Waterfall Rappling. Some say Madeira, is the Hawaii of the Atlantic Ocean. In general, Madeira is a stunning place with lots of outdoor adventure possibilities and a unique culture experience as well. Madeira has some incredible canyons, and massive waterfalls that make this an ideal place for canyoning, aka canyoneering. We hooked up with Epic Madeira to do some activities as they offer all sorts of fun outdoor adventures for reasonable prices. After an awesome intermediate canyoning experience and rock climbing trip we took with their crew, we were able to set up an advanced canyoning session with them, shout out to Fabio, Fabricio and of course, Peter. Luckily, not many people do advanced canyoning so we were the only people in the group with two guides. Having a one-to-one -one guide ratio is excellent so you always have that comfort of knowing things are not missed or overlooked especially when you are dangling from a rope at a height that you would die from, you do not want things overlooked. We arrived at the spot and geared up. After a hot uphill hike past small homes and little farms, we made it into the canyon where we did our briefing. Our first rappel of the day, a 60 meters, 200 feet waterfall. We hiked five minutes from the briefing spot, and the guides began to set all the lines and gear accordingly. 
Peter then yells over to Kirk to come over to where they are hanging over the massive cliff edge as water cascades down past them turning mostly into a mist before it hits the small water pool below. Kirk scrambled over and slowly began climbing down the rocky ledge backward to get where the guides were. One of the scariest parts of rappelling in general is when you are in the process of getting hooked up. Typically you have a redundant system, two anchor sources, before connecting the figure 8 or whatever rappel device you are using, but it's the in-between moments when you are not connected. Of course, Kirk had his GoPro jerry-rigged, and attached it to his chin strap, he really needed the mouth mount. However, at the crucial time when he pressed record to begin the rappel, the GoPro had an error. With adrenaline pumping as he dangled over the cliff's edge, he tried a few times to fix it but ended up making the rappel without the footage. The descent was incredible. We tried our best to be weary of our footing as it was obviously wet from the waterfall, but also to ensure we did not loosen rocks which could potentially be lethal to the guide below. We both agreed, it was the most amazing canyoning experience we have ever had, and we have done advanced canyoning in multiple other places around the world. After the big rappel, we had many more fun rappels, a few technical rappels, and of course, cliff jumping. The final rappel was unbelievable. It was a waterfall around 18 meters, 60 feet with a decent flow that cascaded down right next to the beautiful aquamarine ocean. It looked like something out of a utopian dream. This final rappel truly put the cherry on top of the best canyoning experience we have ever had. A few things we learned. Research and find a legit company that focuses on safety and has professional guides whenever you do any extreme activity like advanced canyoning. Choose Epic Madeira, when coming here to do anything fun, they will set you up with an amazing experience. Madeira is an amazing place worth visiting and spending time exploring. Thumbs up, kiteboarding to the white dune. On our last day in Dakla, we had an interesting grand farewell. Our plan for the day was to kiteboard downwind through the lagoon, past Dragon Island, and ride to the White Dune where we would kite for a bit and then have a 4x4 vehicle drive us 45 minutes back to the resort. Let's go! Walking down to the kite shed to begin gearing up for our last session, Kirk noticed a strange flickering going on in the drink kiosk at the resort. Upon further inspection, the coffee machine was literally on fire. Luckily, the manager was walking by who spoke decent English, and was able to quickly turn off the propane which immediately extinguished the giant flames licking the coffee machine. No worries, we were having an awesome week and were about to go on an amazing journey. We made it down to the start of the lagoon with our gear, launched our kites, and began the downwind trek. Riding downwind is so much fun. No need to tack back upwind or fight the wind, you just cruise. As we were nearing the opening of the lagoon near Dragon Island, one of the guys in our group got his lines crossed with another rider. Luckily, our guide was able to help him get sorted and he was able to relaunch his kite without going to shore, which would have made things interesting given our position in the lagoon. We continued onward through the beautiful water on this perfect sunny day. 
cruising side-by-side -side kiting was such an amazing moment we both cherish from this experience. After an hour or so of riding, we follow our guide to a sandbar where we had previously discussed we'd land our kites and take a break. As we were sitting in the shallow waters, one of the guys in our group found a dying octopus. The guide explained they come to the shallow waters to feed, but when the tide goes out, they get stranded in the hot shallow water. The break was well needed, and we began kiting the last leg of the journey to the white dune. By the time we arrived at the white dune, we were all pretty tired. The wind here was still great and there were little waves, two feet tall little, we got to ride. A few dolphins popped up next to us right before we headed in and added the cherry on top of this adventure. This story continues below with Dakla sand traps. A few things we learned. The lagoon is a super popular spot and there are tons of people and kites you have to avoid. Many people learn here, but we think it would be better to learn in the open ocean and come here once you are proficient and can ride upwind so you are not crossing lines with people or just being timid, because there are hundreds of people in the water with you. We went budget friendly, which was still expensive in our book, but staying at other resorts that have pools or sell alcohol would be worth the upgrade. We got alcohol at a nearby resort most nights because some of the resorts do not sell alcohol. Alcohol is illegal in Morocco, and is considered harem, forbidden in Arabic, Islam. If you want to kiteboard anywhere in the world, Dakla, is the place to go. It has some of the most consistent wind, flat warm water, and overall is considered to be the mecca of kiteboarding. Thumbs down, Dakla sand traps. We've just had the best day kiting to the white dune, and now are ready to head back to the resort. After walking our gear back to the car, there is one kite remaining on the beach. Kirk offers to go back and get it, but the guide says no we will drive over there and grab it. Well, this little task ended up backfiring. As we were driving over to the kite, Martina says something doesn't feel right. The car began to sink and you could feel the car start to squish down deep into the sand. The driver floored it as we were sinking, but we got slammed to floorboards and were no longer moving as the sand flew dramatically in torrents behind us. Kirk has to work in the evenings, the time zone differences worked out great, so we usually got back early this was not happening today. We get out of the car and the car is properly stuck. The driver gives it a quick look and tries to floor it out of the sand. Sadly, to no avail. After a quick look, Kirk says it's hopeless. The guides begin to dig and after a while of seeing their progress, we join in. Water begins filling up in the holes and one of the guys, Redun was his name, pulls out a crab. This lifted our spirits for our second, but after 30 minutes and there is still so much sand to move, as we had no shovel, we tell them they need to call the resort and have another car come help. They tell us no problem, they have been stuck before and will dig it out. They suggest we hike to the top of the white dune and just relax while they solve the issue. The wind is really gnarly at the top of the dune, so we decide to go to the leeward side to hide from the wind. We have a stunning view of shallow pools and the rest of the southern lagoon of Dakla.
As we are enjoying the peace and calm of no wind, Martina jokes that it would be ridiculous if the rescue car got stuck. We have a fun time laughing about that and praying that does not happen. A few minutes later the Italian guy in our group comes over and tells us the rescue car has arrived. As we begin to celebrate, his smiling face changes and turns into a smirk. He then says something like. Well you are not going to believe this, but the rescue car is stuck. Both our jaws dropped and we did not believe him. He told us to come and look for ourselves. We did. And the sight was exactly as described. The rescue car, car B, was now stuck en route to help our initial car, car A. We walked back down the dune flabbergasted they were able to sink another car in the wet sand. Upon arriving, we realize car B is in the same dire state as car A. Given our situation has gone from elation of a guaranteed rescue to desperation as we now have both cars stuck, we are vehemently exclaiming we need help to come get us out. The cars were going nowhere with just us and no proper tools. During the discussion, another car randomly stumbles into the scene. Four Asian girls come out and beeline straight for the white dune to get some killer Instagram shots. Martina beelines for the driver to try and see if they can help us or take us back. The driver told her he was headed back towards our resort and we could cruise back with them. Perfect. Shortly thereafter and multiple hand-powered sand removals later, two more cars show up. An old Land Rover Defender that looks like it might break apart and some other nondescript SUV. Fortunately, there were a ton of guys in these cars and they had some recovery gear. We have now been twiddling our thumbs for over two hours as this new group of men came over to help the impossible plight of moving an automobile, too now, through a plot of sand. Our crew had now expanded to about twelve men and Martina. We have tried pushing multiple times, but finally we succeeded to move car A. It was a glorious moment. We were finally going back. They then decided to use car A to get the rescue car B out of the sand. The general principle made sense and we watched as the driver who got car A initially stuck, began backing up the car towards car B and promptly floored car A, which we just rescued, back deep into the sand. Lovely, we are back at square one. After about twenty minutes, we get car unstuck since we now have a large crew of men helping to dig and push. At this point, we are totally over it and tell them we need to get back. They agreed and we drove pilled into car A, our initial car, to head back to the resort. The remaining crew would help remove the rescue car, B, from the sand and show up whenever that task was done. Naturally, the driver took no heed of our last situations and began to drift on a very precarious sandy road. Kirk was having none of it and told him he needed to chill, several times. We made it back after almost four hours after we finished the most epic day of kiting to the white dune. Kirk was able to work no problem and the rescue car, B, arrived a few hours later, rather sandy. A few things we learned. You have to laugh to get through the hard times. Don't take life too seriously. Regardless of the problem, 
we were in an incredible place doing an exhilarating sport, and enjoying it to the fullest. You can get a 4x4 unstuck with 14 men pushing. Thumbs down, a running engine in Blythe car key fail. Martina had a temporary assignment, at the medical clinic in Blythe. If you know much about this town, it's a place that is ripe for a zombie movie to be filmed here because most places are boarded up or crumbling in some manner. Adventurous Blythe Zombie Ghost Town. JPG. Therefore, Kirk would drive her to work for safety reasons and so he could use the car if need be since we only had one vehicle at the time. On one particular triple-digit temperature evening, Kirk was on his way out the door to pick up Martina. After turning the car and getting the AC running, he realized he forgot to do something inside, what exactly it was, we do not know. Once inside he set the keys down and did whatever it was he forgot to do earlier. He then set the doorknob to be locked, walked out the door, and closed it behind him. Upon entering the vehicle, it immediately began to scream beeping sounds telling him the key was no longer in the vehicle. Wonderful. The key to the house was on the car key, which was now behind a locked door. Kirk almost turned the car off in frustration, but decided against it. Good thing. After contacting the Airbnb host, who said their cleaner could come in three hours with a key, Kirk headed to pick up Martina. The next item on his list was to research if he could drive the car without the key and for how long. According to the internet, and later the reality we found ourselves in, you can use your vehicle with the engine on for as long as you have gas even without the key fob in the car. In theory, you could refill the car at a gas station and keep driving as needed. Kirk picked Martina up and told her the dilemma they were now facing. A fun evening in Blythe. With nothing to do or anywhere safe to really go and spend time, we ordered barbecue and sat right next to the car as it ran. We kept a window mostly open in case the car decided to lock itself or anything weird. After a rather delicious barbecue meal, which is probably the only reason to stop in Blythe as the gas across the border in Arizona is literally $1 cheaper usually, we drove home. We proceeded to then sit in the car for several hours keeping ourselves busy talking, using our phones, and watching the sunset. About four hours after the whole incident began, the cleaner's husband got off work and was able to let us in. Well done Kirk, well done. A few things we learned. If you ever have a running car and lock the key in a house or lose the key, keep the car running and take it somewhere where you can keep it safe or get a new key made. Be cognizant of your keys at all times. Kirk has a key and lock problem. Adventurous Bly Zombie Ghost Town El Rancho Verde.jpg Thumbs down, the Marrakesh water mishap. Getting water in general was a common difficulty we found during our first portion in Morocco as it was during Ramadan. Whenever we travel, we always try to stock up on water when we have the opportunity. This particular incident started in Agadir and ended in Marrakesh. We rented a car to make the drive from Agadir to Marrakesh after resericking other methods and deciding this was the best choice. 
We do not suggest driving in Morocco and hindsight 2020 should probably have hired a private driver. Either way, we wanted the ability to drive to some nearby beach towns to check them out and it was far easier to figure out transportation that we could manipulate ourselves versus trying to haggle a taxi for a fair price and to explain where to go. After driving around for over an hour and searching for a store that was open, particularly one that sold water, we finally found one. We bought tons of water and were stoked this guy sold the big water bottles. During Ramadan, everything is essentially closed and it is against the law to eat or drink in public for Moroccan citizens. They would go to jail if caught, for how long we never found out. Kirk made the three-hour car journey to Marrakesh with no incidents. Although, there were a ton of migrants in Agadir that would come up to your window and stand with their hand out and stare you down sometimes they were somewhat menacing, but we just ignored them sadly and went on our way. Once in Marrakesh though, things changed and driving immediately became super sketchy. Most people do not follow any sense of rules and it usually comes down to who wants it more. You have to commit to pulling out in front of oncoming traffic, dodge bikes, other cars or rickshaws that cut you off, scooters zooming this way and that, dogs, cats, donkey pulled carts, and of course, people moving around everywhere. Where we driving through as it was being set up during the morning? Where we driving through as it was being set up during the morning? Our handy offline Google Maps steered us right into the Jama El Finar market, the infamous night market. This market area is a big tourist location and Google Maps had us driving directly through it. Once we got to the street Google told us to go to, we realized it was down a very narrow alley that our car had no chance of making it down. After several other attempts of Martina frantically looking at the map trying to give me a new path to get to our Riyadh, Moroccan hotel. Here is an example of the madness of roads she was trying to decipher while I was trying to not kill anything nor get killed ourselves by the reckless and chaoticness of Marrakesh streets. We made a few more attempts of taking other roads to get to the Riyadh and finally gave up mainly because we felt we pushed our luck in not getting in an accident yet that it was time to just park and walk, there was no literal road access to our Riyadh. After Martina haggled with an old man in broken English and French who said we had to pay to park where we were, he was the street security and would watch our car, we finally set off with our luggage and load of water. By load of water, we had four four packs of huge water bottles, sixteen bottles in total. We are now meandering through the maze of Marrakesh in 100 plus degree Fahrenheit weather trying to find our Riyadh amongst tons of people, vendors, donkeys, scooters zipping through the narrow souk alleys, all while being absurdly weighted down by our luggage and ridiculous water supply. To say we were sweaty is an understatement. Finally, we came across the Riyadh and were able to rid ourselves all the baggage. After getting checked in and settled, of course our room was on the fourth floor and there was no elevator, we tramped back through the maze to our rental car. We successfully returned the car with no issues and came to the conclusion we will never drive here again, unless it's off-roading. A few things we learned. Do not drive in Marrakesh. Hire a private car during your time in Morocco.
We know a great guy, let us put you in touch with him. He drove us around for a week and was crucial to our trip from communicating with other locals, helping us get food, water, etc. You need him. Unless you speak Arabic or Berber, then go for it solo. Getting lost in the Marrakesh maze of souks is an experience, have fun. If you do rent a car, you will likely have to pay off street people who are security for that area. This is similar to parking in Latin America where you have to pay someone who watches all the cars in a certain area. Thumbs up, getting married. On top of all these amazing events and experiences, unfortunate issues aside, getting married was the most amazing thing we did in 2019. There is a lot we could say about this, but we shall keep it short with a thank you to all our friends and family that supported us and made it such a special event in our lives. Thank you God for such an incredible year and this blessing of marriage, life, health, and liberty. You can find more wedding stuff here. A few things we learned. Planning a wedding is a ton of work. We can help you out in planning your wedding, just reach out to us. We have some very useful wedding planning tools Kirk crafted to help digitize your wedding planning.